What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, taking on the racial wealth gap in America, one corporate giant at a time. Nonprofit Robinhood's new 90 to 0 initiative, CEO Wes Moore. Even if you're not going to do this to be selfless, do this to be selfish. Because your customers are moving on their values. Our corporate weight and our corporate heft actually can change the scope of society. And Goldman Sachs chairman and CEO David Solomon is jumping aboard. And he's working with a lot of change in banking, from racial inequality to junior banker burnout to managing the fallout from the Archegos Capital billion-dollar fiasco. When we look at the concentration of some of these positions, it's reasonable to have a debate about whether or not there should be more transparency Um, in equity markets around some of these complex equity products. Plus, the NCAA have a new men's basketball champion. Secretary Yellen is proposing a global minimum corporate tax and digital currency around the world. I have to admit, at that point, when I get confused. Money is so hard to understand in the first place, uh, Andrew. It's Tuesday, April 6th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin, along with Joe Kernan. Uh, Becky is off today, so it's just it's just the boys this just morning. Us. Just uh, the two of us. Nice uh-huh. to see you, Joe. Good to Take, see you. We'll have some look. songs, probably. probably some uh, we'll have, duet type things. Lots Hollow of duets. We, Sorkin we will and be, Kernan. Uh, we'll, try, we'll try to keep keep the tune. I'll, I'll try to keep the tune. I'm not very good at that, as you know. Do you read the... Uh, the yuan, the digital yuan piece in the journal today, I, you know, it's yep. I just I'm going to read it again, I guess. I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, is that an endorsement of, of crypto? Is it put the rest of crypto out of business? What is if Yellen and Powell are both still living in the, you know, the dark ages, basically on crypto? I, is, are they the two right people to be taking the United States into the future when China could just looks like they're ready to just go full on. They're going to leave us in the dust. Don't we need to be if in I, this to win this? If I understood what the digital one was, but then, you know, there's other people who think that, you know, we often, and I even ask, I hate to admit this, I ask a question and I don't even understand the question. Sometimes you'll, you'll, you'll hear me say, well, what happens to it if we create a digital dollar? Because I've read a lot about people who talk about if we create a digital dollar and then they say, well, no, no, no. Uh, actually, we could just have a stable coin that's matched to the dollar. And then I have to admit at that point when I get confused. Right. And then to add on everything else, Robert uh, Mundell died at 88, 1999, Nobel laureate. And his idea was to actually make a global paper standard that included all currencies, all the major currencies. So I don't money is so hard to understand in the first place, well, look, uh, Andrew, if, exactly if we what all, it represents, what has there's value. A global, we'll have, a, we'll have a, global, a global currency, a global tax system at the rate things are going. Oh, yeah, the Maybe. global tax system, right? The global got, tax system. The, we got the, that the minimum, going for. The, George the Soros tax. is like, yes, it's all happening, right? 
everything uh, meantime, I wanted. No borders. All, all, you know, globalism is, is moving apace, just like you wanted. In a speech here, we were just talking about Janet Yellen's speech yesterday and talking about this. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, uh, through the administration's support behind an international effort to create a global minimum tax for corporations. Companies would have to pay the minimum regardless of where they locate headquarters. Another consequence of an interconnected world has been a 30-year race to the bottom on corporate tax rates. Competitiveness is about more than how U.S. headquarters com- headquartered companies fare against other companies in global merger and acquisition bids. It's about making sure that governments have stable tax systems that raise sufficient revenue to invest in essential public goods and respond to crises. Secretary Yellen said the global tax would help prevent a race to the bottom, which we hear about a lot, in which countries cut their own tax rates to entice companies to move across the border. Meantime, Democrats in Congress released their own proposal that would raise taxes on profits that large companies earn overseas. I don't, is it really a global tax? You don't, you don't think that's easy to, uh, it's, we can't I think get, now we're, we can't we're get into, together here. Car- how are we going to gonna get together with everyone it, else? Well, it's, it's cartel building. And the, the thing that I don't understand is if you're a country that may not be, um, you know, today, maybe you would, there are countries that today might agree to this. But then is it going to be like a Brexit situation if for, if for whatever reason their economy is not working in a couple of years? They say to themselves, you know what, to be competitive, I want to actually lower taxes to try to bring business there. It just changes the dynamic. Look, I, you know me. I appreciate the race to the bottom issue more than anybody. In concept, I, I like it, I have to say, but I don't understand how it actually works in practice. Yeah, I don't even know how to uh, respect it, 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 uh, There's going to be look, we've seen cartels in the past. People cheat. They, they don't stay in cartels. They cheat. And I, I, there would be a, an inclination, you know, to somehow massage it so that it'd be, still be better to bring your headquarters here than somewhere else. I, I just you're right. I don't, just don't see everyone staying on the same page. And uh, but you know, there's I mean, a lot look, of things. Look, a lot of things happening that sta- I never thought would happen. So do you, th- do you think the states do you think that states in America would agree to something like this? We have enough trouble there, don't we? I know. Bingo. In sports news, Baylor won its first NCAA men's basketball championship in dominant fashion last night, knocking off undefeated Gonzaga 86-70. to The Bears dominated the boards, uh, out-rebounding the Zags 16-10, to forcing eight turnovers. Uh, they built a big lead in the first half that never uh, came closer than nine points for the rest of the game. So UCLA is really good. Now we realize, but maybe Gonzaga, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Any I given mean, night, shot. you never know. Any we didn't given talk night, about it yesterday. That shot, right? The one from that shot uh, against, uh, yeah. with UCLA. Um, yeah. yeah, that was beyond. You know? But UCLA kept it, you know, they, they were so close, overtime and everything else. So UCLA had to, didn't you, UCLA had to play its way in. I think they had to play their way in. I mean, no one thought they were, they were 11 seed, I think. Right. So you can't tell. You can't, it's impossible impossible to figure out uh, i've decided so on andrew just real quick on my on my betting site they flipped the underdogs and gave me four and a half points to take gonzaga so then okay. the real the real spread was minus gonzaga was given them four and a half so i took that to get the four and a half and then i said why are they doing that so then i took baylor too 
I took them both and okay. had I had four I had both teams getting four and a half. So if it if it had been a close game by one or two like points, an arbitrage I would yeah arbitrage. I would have won both. But instead, I just I don't know. I think I broke even. I don't even know anymore. It doesn't matter. It's, it's you know three dollars. But uh, yeah. But so I, I can say that I had Baylor. But but I you, also you, had, but I also say, had Gonzaga. <laughs> okay. Say loud and proud. We've been talking about this Georgia story uh, for days now. Sources now telling uh, ESPN that Major League Baseball planned to relocate that all-star game to Coors Field in Denver. This after pulling it from Atlanta over the new voting law, an announcement from MLB expected today. The move sparking a backlash from Republicans. Georgia's governor defending the state's new law and Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell had some very strong words for CEOs. you got to listen to this. I found it completely discouraging to find a bunch of corporate CEOs uh, getting in the middle of politics. My advice to the corporate CEOs of America is to stay out of politics. Don't pick sides in these big fights. Meantime, Texas Governor Greg Abbott uh, backed out of throwing the first pitch uh, at the Texas Rangers home uh, opener yesterday and said the state would not seek to host any special MLB events, Joe. Um, it's uh, it's been it's been a wild story to see the flip. Really, what I've seen is this remarkable flip flop almost right Be- between the relationship the Republicans have had with the business community and the Democrats. All of a sudden, these progressive Democrats are <laughs> are saying this is great. We, we love your business. All this power that you now have. Fabulous. And these, these Republicans are saying, you know, we, Citizens United, you know, we want to give you power, use your money and influence. No, no, please stay out of politics. We don't want you to do that at all. It's it's a um, I've actually, you know, gone back and forth with one of our friends about uh, about. And I said the CEOs now last week, these were the greedy, parasitic stock buyback, uh, you know, pan their wallet. Uh, you know, low lowlifes that you were just talking about. Now you're holding them up as the, you know, as, as the model for the rest of us, the way the rest of us are supposed to think. Are they greedy parasites or are they model citizens? Make up your mind. And, but we all do this. We pick, you know, when it when it goes, you know, when someone's thinking the way we think, we, we talk about right. when they're doing the opposite. The truth is it's when, both. The truth it, is it's both. Right. right? I, I, well, they are. Look, Andrew, they've got They've got customers that run the entire political spectrum. So the lowest common denominator is going to be the path that they try to walk at all times. They're almost the canary in the coal mine for all social issues. They need to be, you know, I I always quote that Dylan song. You don't need to be a weatherman, Andrew, to know which way the wind is blowing. I know which way it's blowing right now. I can feel it. Can't you? And and to get in front of that, you better have a... You better have some thick skin and you better be ready for the consequences if, you know, so I, you know, I, I'm glad we have a business network, even though this does go on business. But the social issues are getting more and more complex. And I just can we talk about Bitcoin? Maybe I, I, I saw this with you and I said, wow, because now I've been vaccinated, double vaccinated, everything else. So I'll, I'll get quadruple vaccinated. I still don't know if I'm going to a place with 40,000 people shoulder to shoulder. I, I don't know. Like, I can't. I, show, just, show people. Yeah. Let's, speaking of the, of the rate, and, and this story has everything for you, Andrew. Everything. It's got know, the Atlanta story. It's got the All-Star story. It's got the cultural. It's got the, the mass. It's got the, the, the pandemic. It's got it all. It encompasses all of your, of, of your bullet points. 
40,000 people at the Rangers home opener. Fans packed the ballpark yesterday. It's the first major pro sports event in America to approach capacity in a stadium in more than a year. All 40,000 tickets were available for sale, and the new park was about three-quarters full at first pitch. They tried to uh, – most people had masks on, and they tried to, to get people to wear the mask, but not everybody had masks on. But – I, I, we got to get we got to get used to it again. I guess I, I yep. would not. I, I would have felt, I, and I don't want to admit it, but I think I would, would you have been okay there? I would have, even though I've been vaccinated. I think I would have. It, it, we've been conditioned to be very crowdophobic, and I don't know when that goes away. And it's sad. I would. I mean, you know me. I would have had my N95 on. And Double, I would triple. <laughs> Double or triple and trying to trying to maintain your. You know, I don't think you would have set foot in. But it was outside. I mean, I'm no, the outside. I'm good outside. I've, I go to outdoor restaurants now, and I'm, I'm, I'm you know, and we're getting closer. We're getting maybe, closer. Maybe we can, uh, as we get more. There are places that they think by the end of May could have close to, to herd immunity. If you believe that, that we'll eventually get there, and, and maybe we need to be less phobic. But it's going to be. It's not even. I don't even think about it. If I think about it logically, maybe I would have gone in there. But but just the feeling that I get when when someone is in my bubble. I'm not not ready. Next on Squawk Pod, one group of Americans, 90% richer than another. A new initiative is taking on that imbalance. Robinhood Foundation CEO Wes Moore. The problem we were trying to solve for was the fact that there is this 10 to 1 racial wealth gap that we have with the United States between black families and white families. And his corporate partner in the effort, Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon. One of the things that we're seeing increasingly, Andrew, is that shareholders and capital allocators care about these issues. And the reason for that is I think people believe that diverse and inclusive organizations drives additional economic output, which brings everyone along. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. It's been almost one year since corporate America made a slew of promises to the public and to shareholders about using their power for change. No peace! No peace! Protests about racial inequality heated up on Main Street in 2020, and Wall Street said they'd get to work. Robin Hood, the nonprofit fighting poverty in New York City, announced an initiative today called 90 to Zero. White families in this country are 90% richer than black families. Household earnings, investment, savings, there's a huge structural disparity. 90 to Zero, run by Robinhood, is working with corporate partners like Goldman Sachs, Starbucks, and other nonprofits and academic institutions to close that gap, bring it to zero. Some ways to start, hiring and supporting black talent in corporations, investing in black-owned businesses, 90 to 0 estimates that just a little work to close the wealth gap could increase American GDP by $1.5 trillion over the next 10 years. The Robin Hood Foundation's outgoing CEO, Wes Moore, he has just a few more months on the job, 
joined our TV broadcast this morning to discuss the initiative, and he brought one of his partners, Goldman Sachs Chairman and CEO David Solomon. Now, there was a lot to catch up on with David Solomon. This is his first interview since 13 of his junior bankers stirred up a generational divide in finance, airing concerns about mental health and burnout in banking. And it's also his first interview since the recent Archegos fiasco, when a hedge funder with a questionable history named Bill Huang was forced to liquidate his over-levered positions in several public companies. That led to big banks shopping large blocks of the stocks at highly discounted prices and left some of them on the hook for billions. Andrew Ross Sorkin and Joe Kernan get to all of that. Here's Andrew first with Robinhood's Wes Moore. Wes, I'll start with you. It's great to see both of you, gentlemen. Uh, How did this come together and and what does it mean? Explain it. So really what what happened was was last summer, uh, a collection of leaders across sectors. Uh, So whether it's about leaders from the from the finance industry, you know, great leaders like David, folks like Doug Sieg from Lord Abbott or folks like Derek Johnson from the NAACP. But a handful of folks got together and said, you know, we have a a coordinated problem. That, we're, that we have to deal with. And the only way we're going to deal with it is a coordinated solution. Uh, and so really what the problem we were trying to solve for was the fact that there is this 10 to 1 racial wealth gap that we have within the United States between black families and white families. And the ability to solve any challenge became more and more difficult and frankly impossible if we do not deal with the fact that this racial wealth gap continues to impede any form of growth or progress. And so the collective idea and the collective action was to say we want to pull together groups from across every single economic lever in the United States, whether it is the corporate sector, whether it's the nonprofit sector, the philanthropic sector, or from universities, anyone who we know controls the economic levers of the United States, and say, what can we do both individually, matching up best practices to be able to address the racial wealth gap, and then how do we move collectively to be able to solve the larger problem as we find itself? So, so, David, what does this mean for Goldman Sachs in terms of the targets and goals and hiring and, and, and money that you're going to spend on this issue? So, so, Andrew, I appreciate the opportunity to be here with Wes and support Wes. It's Wes's leadership that's really, over the last nine months, driven this initiative and brought this very interesting group of people together to try to make progress on this. I think you know from our own initiatives, and we've talked about this before, one of the things that we really believe, and we learned this from our 10,000 Women program, our 10,000 small business program, and now with the launch of 1 million black women, research and metrics and the ability to keep people accountable for making investments that can move things forward is very, very important. So one of the reasons I signed on to this initiative with Wes and 90 to Zero is I looked at the things we were doing through our various programs, and I said, we're doing a lot of this, but this gives us another set of metrics, another set of goals where we can use our capital and our resources to try to make a difference. And so a lot of this will come out of our existing programs, but we'll also look over the next decade to find other ways to be accountable for making investments that we think can make a difference here and ultimately drive growth in GDP and participation in our economy, which is obviously something we all really believe in and something we want to see occur. Have you set specific targets inside of Goldman Sachs? We, 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 we have, and we've, we've done this you know, before 90 to zero, but I think, as you know, we've really believed with recruiting and our own diversity inclusion efforts inside the firm that's setting very specific aspirational goals, creating transparency and moving towards those metrics and goals and holding managers and leaders accountable is a very, very important part of the way we advance diversity inclusion in our organization. And I think it's a good model for most businesses. I think most 
leading businesses at this point in time employ some sort of process of doing just that, setting goals and trying to hold people accountable over time for moving towards those goals reasonably. And do you, do you expect shareholders to hold you accountable for those goals as well? Well, I think one of the things that we're seeing increasingly, Andrew, is that shareholders and capital allocators care about these issues. It's, it's one set of broad issues that there's a greater focus on on the part of shareholders and capital allocators. And the reason for that is I think people believe that diverse and inclusive organizations and also progress in some of the issues that Wes is highlighting this morning drives additional economic output, which brings everyone along. Right. And so I do think that capital allocators do care about these issues. And it's more and more in the dialogue that we see with shareholders and capital allocators broadly. Hey, Wes, weigh in on this, because I think a lot of business leaders who are watching this morning are grappling uh, with uh, not just the issues that you're raising um, this morning and, and, and trying to figure out what they should be doing inside their own company, but also how outspoken they should or should not be. We're seeing this, of course, when it comes to voting laws. We saw this in Georgia. This is now spreading across the country. There's some big companies coming out publicly in Texas. Um, how do you think a business leader is supposed, to, is supposed to think about speaking out? And can you do one thing inside your company and either be silent or not on the other side? Meaning there's because people are people say, well, people are hypocritical if they give money to Republicans on one side, but then they say they care about these issues on another. Give us your thoughts. Yeah, well, I, I think the, the the voting laws piece is in it is an important one because it's also imperative for us to remember that it was actually, you know, it was the Atlanta, um, you know, Atlanta uh, uh, Falcons who were the first team to actually open up their stadium. Uh, you know, there were 39 stadiums that actually used their stadiums and or sports arenas as voting centers. So what we're seeing right now in many ways is more of a continuation than it is a, a deviation from what we've seen about the importance of being able to protect voting laws. But we think about this in terms of the larger conversation that 90 to zero is really hoping to drive for a lot of our for a lot of corporate partners, where the answer is, uh, is that even if you're not going to do this to be selfless, do this to be selfish because your customers are moving on their values. Your customers are moving with organizations and platforms that they feel share their values and share their instincts. And so you are watching companies that are being rewarded for being able to understand that our corporate, our corporate weight and our corporate heft actually can change the scope of society. Whether you're talking about, you know, in historical factors like the, the ending of apartheid South Africa, to whether you're talking about right. the changing the name of football teams. Corporate weight matters in these conversations. David, uh, while we have you, I've got to ask you about a couple big headlines. Uh, the first, of course, is ARCA Ghost just this morning, Credit Suisse saying that they've, uh, they're going to take a write down of $4.7 billion. You saw the head of risk and the head of their investment bank effectively lose their job over this. Uh, Goldman Sachs, it appears, uh, has gotten out of this unscathed. But what, what is the lesson? What, what did you learn from all of this? Well, Andrew, I think this is a classic case of an investor with concentrated positions that have leverage against them. And when a price moves against that party, it's important to take down risk. And I know, you know, you know, as, as well as we know, this is not the first time this has happened, and it's certainly not going to be the last. We'll certainly see this again. From my perspective, our risk controls worked well. We identified risk early on. We took prompt corrective action to lower our risk according to the contract that we have with the client. And I can't really speak to what other banks have done and how they've handled the situation, but I'm very pleased with the way our team handled it. There's a larger question here around process by which investors create transparency around their economic positions 
and how to handle more complex equity products in our system. And I think that's a topic that deserves debate. I think it should be reviewed you know, by the SEC, and I certainly expect uh, Chair Gensler as he comes in to take a view on that, and I think there'll be more discussion on that. But from a broad perspective, what happened here is something we've seen before, something we'll see again, uh, and that's why risk management sy systems and organizations like ours are very, very important, and we spend a lot of time really thinking about that. We don't always get it right, but this was an example of a place where we did. Hey, David, was it true that it was some young first-year guy? It was like 1.30 in the morning on a Saturday night. He was like looking over some stuff, uh, working, uh, you know, working a 120-hour week and found that Archigo stuff. Is that really what happened or, or no? I, I, Joe, I don't, I don't think that's exactly what happened, but, uh, but it sounds like a good story. So uh, <laughs> our, our, team, our, team, our team worked tirelessly around this. I don't think we've had you on since that ridiculous uh, story. I, I mean, Kramer said to, to be able to work at Goldman, I mean, you've had a line probably of 10,000 people trying to get in there. And then once you get in there, you're going to start uh, start grousing about. Did you, there was a quote from, I think it was Katzenberg. Did you hear that one, Andrew? If you don't show up on Saturday, if, if you're not in on Saturday, don't even bother coming in on Sunday. Have you said that? Well, I think, I think the important thing here, Joe, is to recognize that we're at a very unusual time. I've been doing this for almost 40 years. I've never seen the velocity of transactions and the volume we've seen over the course of the last couple of months. It really is an unusual time in terms of the amount of activity. We're here to serve our clients, and we're very, very busy. And that forces people to be engaged more and obviously work harder. I think there's got to be balance and there has to be guardrails. It's something I've been passionate about for the last 10 years, going back to when I ran banking. In a 24-7 connected world, we have to find ways to help people, especially young people that are transitioning into the professional world, have some balance. And we've done some things over time to try to help those guardrails exist. Goldman Sachs is always going to be a competitive place. It's always going to be a place where people work hard and there's lots of reward for that effort. But at the same point in time, we know that this is a time where there's more work going on because of the velocity of business. Mm -hmm. The pandemic makes it more difficult. And so we need to be, you know, we need, we need to help our people at a time like this. And so we're doing some things. We're hiring some people, but you can't flick a switch. And we're obviously very focused on it. Right. Hey, David, I just want to go back to one thing you say, because I think it's important about the Archegos situation, but, but some of the disclosure things. What do you think has to happen there in terms of the idea that somebody could have these total return swaps and the market wouldn't necessarily know it in terms of how much ownership they really had. What would you do? Well, I, I, I think there's a reasonable debate around the transparency around derivative products. It's one, Andrew, that, that you know has been going on for more than a decade, you know, certainly coming out of the financial crisis. Um, I think when we look at the concentration of some of these positions, it's reasonable to have a debate about whether or not there should be more transparency um, in equity markets around some of these complex equity products. Uh, and I think we're going to see that debate and there potentially could be some movement in the way transparency works around that market right. structure. Was it a mistake to be in business with Bill Wong, given the history of the insider trading and, and just the risk uh, that he was involved in altogether? I, 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 Andrew, don't think, you know, going back and second guessing decisions like that at this point um, is is the answer to this. Um, you know, we, we look at the way we onboard clients. We go through a rigorous process. The fact that someone had concentrated positions and they were overlevered um, and therefore uh, there was money lost, that's part of the way the system works. I think the debate around transparency is important. Uh, and I think with more transparency, 
you know, that might help as we go forward. Right. But I think that's a, that's a forward discussion. You know, where do we go from here? I think that's the right way to think about it. And I got to ask you, because I'd be killed if I didn't by, by so many viewers. We, we heard some reports last week uh, from Houston and others about uh, plans in crypto, specifically in Bitcoin uh, for clients. What, 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 what are you working on? We, 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 continue, we continue to think about digital currency and the digitization of money um, in a very proactive way. Um, and in that context, we're engaged with our clients and we look at all this through the centricity of what do our clients need and how can we help and support our clients. I think, as you know, Andrew, there are significant regulatory restrictions around us and us acting as a principal around cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. Uh, but we can help clients facilitate um, custody positions and digital assets. Um, and as our clients have demand to be involved in this space, we continue to find ways right. that we can support our clients. And that's the lens that we're really looking through. Would you like to be able to, to act as a principal in this regard, meaning, meaning are people pushing in Washington to have those rules changed? I, I, um, I, I think that this is a space that's evolving. This is a space that we're trying to be responsive to our clients and how we approach it. I think there'll be a big evolution as to how this evolves uh, in the coming years. Uh, we operate in the rules that we have. I'm not going to speculate on where the rules will go for regulated financial institutions, but we're going to continue to find ways to serve our clients as we move forward. Okay. David Solomon, thank you for answering those questions. We appreciate it. And uh, Wes and David together, we want to thank you both uh, for joining us and uh, bringing us this news about this 90 to zero project. It's an important one. And we hope that uh, other business leaders follow suit and we hope to follow your progress. Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for having us. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for being here and listening to the end. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. You don't need to be a weatherman, Andrew, to know which way the wind is blowing. I know which way it's blowing right now. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern and subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.